Almighty God, open our ears, open our hearts. That as scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we might hear and receive with joy what you would say to us this day. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever experienced selective hearing loss? When, when I was a kid, I used to get in trouble for this sometimes. Usually I was deep into some book that I was fascinated with. And my mother was talking to me, it turns out. But I might as well have been in a different room or, you know, a different planet. This still happens occasionally. I get distracted and I realize someone has been talking to me, but I have no idea what's happening. And I have to ask, I'm sorry, could you repeat that, please? I'm guessing most of us in the room have had this experience. Maybe you've tuned someone out deliberately or half-consciously, but often it, it just happens, right? We get distracted. And I found myself thinking about this as I was studying this week's scripture readings because they're all about deafness and ears being opened, about words that we hear or fail to hear. Or maybe both. We perceive sounds, but we don't retain what's said. We don't hear it. Did you hear what I said? Uh, yeah, totally. Okay, what was it? Um, I guess I need you to tell me again. I said Wednesday night at Christ Church 101 that I believe the task of a sermon is to point back to Scripture and say, did you hear that? Did you really hear? Has the word of God made it past our outer ears into our inner persons? Have we received it? And as we approach this morning's readings, I want to consider, first of all, what does it mean to hear God? What does it mean to hear God? I think typically when we use this language, we tend to think in terms of our current circumstances. I'm seeking comfort I need encouragement because I'm struggling, or I'm looking for guidance on what I should do, how I should respond to a particular situation. I say, I need to hear from God. I wish I could just hear from God. And of course, hearing God may include those things, but it's much more than that. It goes deeper. Recently, I've been reading the theologian Paul Griffiths, and his book includes this beautiful Description of the world we live in is a world bathed in holy light, illuminated by God's radiance, a world in which everything comes to us as a gift. As St. James says in our epistle reading, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything good, which is to say every created thing, rightly understood in its proper being and its fullness, is a gift. The world addresses us as something that comes from God. It's a spoken world. Remember the creation account in Genesis 1. How does God create? He speaks. He creates through his word. And that's not a one-time thing. God is continually speaking the world into being. This is what creaturely existence means to be constantly sustained by the divine word. And it's through his word also that God brings about new creation, 
James says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's first fruits in the Old Testament sense, not just what comes first chronologically, but that which is holy and set apart as the Lord's own. Or in other words, to hear God in the most fundamental sense is to be attuned to that resounding word. To receive the world in our own lives and our own days as God's gift, to be participants in his being, to resonate with his song, to rejoice in his light. Griffiths points out light is beautiful in itself. It's also the condition for seeing anything else. And this is also true of the divine word. It's beautiful. God's speech is beautiful. God's word is also the condition for true hearing, for true speech, for encountering reality as it really is, knowing God and the world and even ourselves as we're meant to be known because God's word resounds in every created thing. We need to hear God not just so we know what to do, but so we know how to be, so we know who to be. That is, how to be in relationship with God. The problem is we have selective hearing loss. We tune God out. In so many ways, we become deaf to the life-giving word that creates and sustains us. And that's why James makes the turn that he does in verse 19 of chapter 1. It seems like a hard left from high theology to practical real-life advice. But there's a through line here. Know this, my beloved brothers, he says. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Most of us, of course, are the opposite. Our hearing is sluggish and deadened. Even with our family and friends and neighbors, most of us are not great listeners. We're almost entirely deaf to God. The word doesn't resonate in our ears. And yet, we are very quick to pour forth our own oh-so-important words. Because we know how it is. We know what's up. We want to be heard. What I have to say is important. And if we don't feel heard, we get hurt. Or we get outraged. We get furious. We're quick to speak and we're quick to anger when people don't respond with immediate understanding. And let's face it, with affirmation. How dare you? Why don't you understand? This is important. Our anger is not like God's anger. Because God's anger is nothing other than his love. Remember what James says, God doesn't waver or change. God is pure light. There's no shadow in him. Shadow happens when something comes between us and the light. When we don't hear God's word beneath others' words or our own when our loves are not continually sung into being by his love. We feel passionate for fairness, for justice, for what's right, especially my rights. But our quick human anger doesn't produce divine righteousness. Our situation is a lot like that of the man in Mark's gospel, if we interpret the story spiritually. Of course, his deafness is not his fault, it's just the condition of being born in a fallen and broken world. But are we so different? 
From the moment of our conception, we're surrounded by the song of divine love and heavenly praise, and yet our souls recognize only confused sound or eerie silence. And notice the man is not just deaf, he also has a speech impediment. It's not that he's unable to make sounds, but he can't speak clearly. He can't make himself understood. Why? Because he's never heard anyone speak. This is James's point. We pour forth words with such assurance as if we're making meaningful noise, and yet how often do we try to reach across the chasm to someone else Someone we love, someone we're trying to help or teach or guide, or someone we're frustrated with and wish they would just understand already. Maybe we think we're getting through. Maybe they think they understand. Maybe a kind of communication occurs, words transmit information, but they're totally detached from the one who speaks and sings us into being. And so ultimately, we're unintelligible to one another. We say so much, but we don't recognize the word who sustains our words. There's no life in them. They don't give life. As far as supernatural reality is concerned, we're just spewing static in an echo chamber. How often are our prayers just so much clamor and empty noise? St. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and even angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just noise. Be quick to hear, James says, but be slow to speak and be slow to anger. Because if our speech is going to mean anything, if it's going to accomplish anything other than confusion and damage, we need to be given words. Or rather, we need to be given the word. In short, we need Jesus to heal us. In Mark's gospel, the unhearing man's friends beg Jesus to lay hands on him. And the inspired author gives us Jesus' response in surprising detail. First, he takes the man aside, away from the crowd. He turns his full attention on him. I think if we hear about God's word sustaining the whole of creation, that could seem distant or impersonal, but this encounter is utterly personal and intimate. We may tune God out. It doesn't mean that he's any less aware of us. He doesn't see and hear us. Second, Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ears. And he spits and touches his tongue, probably touches it with the saliva. That's pretty weird. But there are a couple things happening here. One, Jesus is using a kind of sign language. He's acknowledging the man's need in a way that this man can understand even through his silence. Also, though, these are the characteristic actions that a holy man or healer might use, whether he's Jewish or pagan. Remember, this man is a Gentile, or at least we're in Gentile territory in this story. Jesus may be showing him what's about to happen to him. And then Jesus looks up to heaven in this visible, physical act of prayer, revealing again where this healing comes from. And it says, he sighs deeply. What's that about? Well, it may be an expression of our Lord's own grief at what has happened to the human beings he's made and loves. We see something like this 
from Jesus when he's standing outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus in John's gospel. The Apostle Paul uses the same word in his letter to the Romans where he says that when our own words are inadequate, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. But here in Mark's gospel, the word himself, the word made flesh, gives that same kind of inarticulate groan. As if to say there's a need here that goes deeper than human language can express. As if to say there's a silence more profound than just this man's physical inability to hear. As if to say, in order to reach into that silence, the word himself will have to be left without words. On the cross, Jesus will give a loud cry and breathe his last. The word will shout, and then he'll fall silent in death. Why? So he can enter into our profoundest silence. So the light can come stand with us in our deepest shadow, even in the valley of shadow of death itself, and speak a word into that darkness that bursts forth a new creation. Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ears. He touches his tongue. He looks up to heaven and gives a wordless groan. And then finally, at last, he speaks. Just one word. But a word with power. A word with life in it. Ephatha, be open. It's a strange word. It's distinctive. And obviously it's memorable. Mark gives us this little bit of Aramaic in the midst of his Greek text. One commentator points out, these may be the first sounds that this deaf man has ever in his life heard. Ephatha, be opened. Jesus speaks. And then, Scripture says, his ears were opened. And literally, the bonds, the chains of his tongue were loosed. And having heard the words spoken to him for the first time, he begins to speak plainly. The Greek here is elale orthos. He began to speak rightly. In the same way that orthodoxy is rightly ordered worship and honor toward God. In the same way an orthodontist sets your teeth straight. This man who has the Lord's word resonating in his ears becomes capable for the first time of rightly ordered speech. Words that harmonize with the divine word he's heard. Hearing God changes everything. St. James urges us to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, to let it get into you and make you new. But it's not enough to hear a healing word. We have to keep our ears open and attuned. I don't know if you noticed this. It's striking to me in our gospel reading that the people who hear Jesus speak his ephatha, who witness this healing, immediately start talking and immediately stop listening to Jesus. Jesus charged them to tell no one, it says, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. You're not listening. In the historical context of Mark's gospel, and especially the first half of his gospel, Jesus wants to avoid people sharing too much too soon, probably because there's such a danger of 
misunderstanding and misinterpretation. Remember, at one point the crowd tries to make him king by force. They don't get it yet. A time for wholehearted proclamation is coming after Jesus rises from the dead, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we who live after Pentecost should always be ready to bear witness to what we've seen and heard. Please don't hear me saying otherwise. We must be ready to speak. But not everything should always be said all at once. Not all words are a blessing for those who hear if what we're saying is not in tune with what Jesus is saying to that person now. We still need to be slower to speak than we are to hear. We have to keep our ears open. James says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes in a way and at once forgets what he was like. Now maybe you're like me, you hear this analogy and you tend to imagine looking in a mirror and seeing something wrong. Ah, I have to do something about that. Where's my comb? That's not what happens to the man in Mark's gospel. When he sees and hears Jesus, he starts to discover his true self. According to James, the mirror we see ourselves in is not primarily one of judgment or condemnation, but of freedom. He calls it the law of liberty, the law as it's fulfilled in Christ. Like this man who sees Jesus, touch him, who sees Jesus speak the word that opens his ears. When we gaze upon and listen to Jesus, we encounter our true selves as we were made to be. Ourselves recreated and brought into the light of God's love, no longer prisoners, no longer slaves, our chains loosed, our bonds broken, able to speak rightly for the first time. If you know Jesus, if you've been brought near through baptism and repentance and faith, that has happened to you. And yet, how often and how easily do we forget? We stop up our ears again. We hear, but we don't hear. We see, but we don't see. It doesn't stick. Did you hear me? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay, what did I say? Um, I guess I need you to tell me again. James makes it abundantly clear, true hearing, the kind that brings transformation, is not just shown forth in more words. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The one whose heart has been opened by Jesus' healing and who continues to hear becomes what Jesus himself is, an embodied word whose very self resonates with divine speech. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, it's amazing how much I can, time I can spend doing what I perceive to be priestly work and how little of that is time in prayer or studying scripture. How easy it is to hear and turn away and forget How often I need Jesus to tell me again. And what are we doing here every Sunday as scripture is read, as we celebrate the Holy Eucharist, but asking Jesus to do again 
for us what he does for the man in Mark's gospel. We need the word made flesh to fill our ears. We need him to touch our tongues. Until his word resounds and resounds in us. Until we begin to receive the world and our own selves as his gift. Until the chains of our tongue are loosed and we begin to speak rightly. Speak truly, to speak in rhythm and harmony with what we've heard and continue to hear. Until our lives become embodied words. And we join our voices with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven. Singing back the Lord's own song that makes and sustains us. To the praise and glory of his name, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In glory everlasting. Amen. Amen.